book of Judges, if you're Judges chapter 13, if you are visiting with us and need a Bible or you left your cell phone at home, you can pull out the Bible, black Bible in the chair in front of you. Start in Genesis, the first book of the Bible and find page 191, 191. That's where you'll find Judges chapter 13. Again, Judges, book of Judges, chapter 13, seventh book in the Bible. After Joshua's Judges, chapter 13, page 191 in that black Bible. We're going to study chapter 13, and I decided to, I was going to do 14 and 15 next Sunday, and then chapter 16 on the 512. What's that, uh, on the 22nd? No. 512, yeah, 22nd, right? No. 512, 19th. I, 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 and then, but I decided, no, I'm going to do... 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, 5, 12, 19, 26. So every Sunday for this month, we're going to take one chapter and really study the life of, of Samson. So chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and then the end of this month will be done with the book of Judges. And then I have like a, something I'm thinking about doing in October, the first Sunday of October. I might do two messages on something else. And then probably the end of October, maybe beginning of November, that's when I'll start on the Gospel of John. Although, so you're getting, uh, this is what I'm thinking all week. Uh, um, I thought about maybe doing the book of Philemon, like a Sunday or two. I thought about just doing, that might be fun. Just like do Philemon, you know? Just, it's like, just like one little letter. It's like, I don't know, 20 verses? I don't know. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just do that. That'd be kind of fun. Just do like, and then got Philemon, you know? Be, I don't know. Just, that'd be fun. What do you think it'd be fun? Yeah, see, it'd be fun. See, yeah, yeah see, yeah. I just want to do fun. I don't know. So I thought about that. Just uh, jumping into Philemon for like a Sunday or two and then jumping into the Gospel of John. So, I don't know. We'll see. See what happens. But that's kind of the schedule for this month. Going to go through all the book of Judges uh, each Sunday. 13, 14, 15, 16. 5, 12, 19, 26, those Sundays. So, and today is Judges chapter 13. This is the only chapter in the book of Judges that actually gives the birth of a judge. The only time you see this in the book of Judges. So it has some significance. So Judges chapter 13, let's read, and then we'll study. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of Yahweh, so that Yahweh gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines." Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine, nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. She's like, <laughs> she's so excited. Verse 8, Demonah entreated Yahweh and said, O Adonai, Please let the man of God whom you've sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. 
And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, No, that was probably in the uh, edited version. Anyway, uh, unedited version. Behold, the man who came that day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of Yahweh said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, Please let us detain you so we, we may prepare a kid for you. And the angel of Yahweh said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your bread. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to Yahweh. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of Yahweh. And Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, What is your name so that when your words come, we may honor you? But the angel of Yahweh said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So Manoah took the kid with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to Yahweh. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on for it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of Yahweh ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw it, they fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of Yahweh appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of Yahweh. So Manoah said to his, uh, to his wife, we will surely die for we've seen God. But his wife's now, his wife is calm. <clears throat> his wife said to him, if, if, if Yahweh desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Verse 24, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and Yahweh blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. Do you know how many Cinderella movies there are? And the reason I was thinking about this was because just uh, like two weeks ago, Amazon is now putting out another Cinderella movie. So I went, I wonder how many Cinderella, and, and I mean the ones that actually follow the storyline from 1950 original version. So including that version, there's five movies. And if you include them one on Amazon, that's six. That's a lot of Cinderella movies. Um, I personally, I mean, everyone likes the 1950 version, of course. But I personally like the 2015 version. You can go look that up. And, and there's one aspect that just stood out to me every time I watch it. It's towards the end. If it's a spoiler alert, so sorry. Cinderella was walking away from her stepmother and she turns and she says, just out of the blue, I forgive you. You know, and, and, and your first reaction is, you should say, off with your head! You know, right? Cut her head off! I think that if I remember correctly, the stepmother ended up working in the kitchen of the palace and Cinderella never saw her again forgive you. That's so undeserving. Undeserving of forgiveness was that stepmother's. That's, what, that's why it stood out to me. There should be justice. But 
but there's grace. You know, how much more is God so filled with grace? Grace means undeserved or unmerited favor. And Judges is about his gracious love. Well, that's the title, really, for this chapter. It's a gracious love, his overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people is a gracious love. You don't deserve this love. You're not worthy of his love. You didn't merit his love, oh Christian. His overwhelming, relentless love for his people. And remember the subtitle to Judges, he wants us to want him. Chiefly, solely. And he'll discipline us He disciplines his people to make that happen in your life. He squeezes so that he would be our one and only love. So we're reminded once again, starting here in chapter 13 with Samson, we're reminded once again of God's gracious love for us as his chosen people, elect before the foundation of the world. We are so unworthy of his compassionate love It's by grace. He wants us to chiefly want him. And see, that's what this whole book of Judges has been about. 16 weeks we've been in this. Israel to chiefly want him. It's a book about God disciplining his people so they would want him and he's showing his gracious love towards them. And Judges, it focuses on Israel's sin, God's gracious discipline for their sin, and his deliverance from his discipline. Because the people are so quick to defect away from loving and focusing upon their God. As we have sung before, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Yet amid their faithlessness, God remain patiently faithful he will always keep his promises always being faithful gracious and long suffering so that we would love admire and desire him alone you see this is the solution this is the remedy if you would to the struggles that we have loving God with everything all that we are this is the Solution to the struggles that we have with sex, with porn, with drugs, with alcohol, same-sex attraction, pleasure, food, health, diet, exercise, safety, a pain-free life, you name it. If these things reign in our lives, then Christ is not first and foremost in your life. That's why people turn to And God will take his people and discipline us so we will say, you're my greatest joy. I, I, I have to have you like a drunkard needs his wine. So that's why God is deeply involved and sovereignly at work in our lives, preserving us 
disciplining us and overruling all things to work for His good and then also our good. And He works on all things so that we have a people who want Him above all else. That's His gracious love. And here we have with Samson, another judge which shows this gracious love that God has for his people because God used this real historical event, the story of Samson, to teach his people the great truth of his love for sinners by showing them his gracious compassion. Realize this, Samson's not the hero of the story, God is. It's not about Samson's strength, It's about God's power and strength and that he's dealing with such stubborn people, such obstinate people. Not like you people, of course. You're not like that. Never. I'm not like that. No. No, 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 no. This is real. So foolish, Kyle, Israel. You're so stupid. How could you act like that? You're not sophisticated like us. For Israel, when they would read Samson's story, especially this chapter about his birth, they'd be reminded of their own birth as a nation and how Yahweh rescued them from their Egyptian slavery is, is interesting, the themes of evil, slavery, the beginning of deliverance, and how as God birthed Samson from nothing, a barren woman, so God birthed Israel out of nothing. He was gracious. Samson's time period was between 1 Samuel chapter 4 and, and also First Samuel chapter 7. And if you want to know more about the locations, you can go to Leon Wood's book, The Distressing Days of the Judges. He does a great job looking at all the different geographical locations. But here we, we, we step into the story of Samson, a major judge with the most information about him, rivaled only by Gideon. Gideon had just a few verses less than Samson. And the only judge with info about his birth And he's the last judge in Judges who actually judged with Eli. Eli was a judge from 1 Samuel chapter 2 to 1 Samuel chapter 4. But see, with Samson, it was different because he worked solely by himself through great feats of strength to subdue the Philistines. And his great strength was from Yahweh, so all honor and glory was to be given to Yahweh, not Samson. And Samson needed to remind himself that his strength was by God's grace, not from himself. So as long as Samson lived, the focus was placed on him. So the Philistines were driven away from their focus on Israel to their focus on Samson. Uh, uh, They wanted him dead. He was a nuisance. He was a pain. Ah, he was an irritation. He was annoying to them. So that's why all that uh, direction, that last 20 years, you'll see 
It's directed instead of at Israel, it'll be directed right at Samson. It's amazing. His parents were visited by the pre-incarnate Christ. We'll talk about that more in a moment. His birth is predicted. He's uniquely dedicated to Yahweh as a lifelong Nazarite. He experienced the power of the Spirit more than any other judge. And yet, you will see his life was marked by both victory and even more so, tragedy. So you can actually almost think of Samson as a mini Israel. A little Israel. As Israel was set apart for Yahweh, so Samson was set apart for Yahweh. Yet, we also see huge character weaknesses in Samson, a mixture of both strengths and weaknesses, just like there was with the nation. One writer, he put it like this. This is a good quote. He says, quote, He was separated to God, Samson, but could never fully come to terms with his separateness. Let's change it a little bit, okay? Let's say this. Israel was separated to God, but could never fully come to terms with their separateness. Very similar. As as Samson went after other women and was drawn by his passions in the same way Israel went after other men. Drawn by her passion for idolatry and we've looked at this and you've seen it in the book of Judges. Israel played the harlot. Remember that? Just like Samson. So Samson was vital. Yes, it's true. But, but Yahweh is the real hero of the story. And God's love is, is the really amazing aspect in the story of Samson. It's really what it's all about. It was Yahweh who saved Israel through Samson. And they didn't deserve it. But, and, and yet, he's significant and an important judge to remind Israel and to remind us of our need for the king to come. Not just a king, but for the king to come. See, Samson points to our need for the true king who was faithful and fully dedicated to God. He had a life of perfection and obedience. He was solely loving and desiring God in his word. And then what did he do? He died for us. So Samson is is actually a type of Christ to come. Samson should point us to Jesus. Samson should point us to our need for the Messiah who's going to come in the future. But, but, But Jesus is going to far outweigh Samson. Far beyond Samson. He's going to be wonderful. So notice how the text begins, verse 1. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of Yahweh. <clears throat> so Yahweh gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. I actually have just three main points for you. Israel sins, Yahweh disciplines, Yahweh loves. Very simple. Notice Israel sins again, again, again. 
Don't forget that adverb. Again, sins. They did evil in the past, so Israel did it again. They played the harlot again. Their lust for pleasure again. And then Yahweh faithfully disciplines. But notice, this time, he gave them to the hands of the Philistines for how long? 40 years. That's the longest oppression in any, in any of the oppressors of the book. As a matter of fact, it spills over into 1 Samuel. As a matter of fact, it spills over into 2 Samuel. Because that's when Philistines, the Philistines are finally subdued. They're not subdued by Saul. They are finally subdued by David. That's how long. Israel's apostasy. God's judgment. But notice, hmm, there's, there's no hint of them crying out to Yahweh. Did you see that? Or should I say, did you not see that? In other passages, in other places in the book of Judges, they would cry out and groan and moan. But you don't have that here. And yet here, chapter 13, starting in verse 2, all the way to the end of chapter 16, it maps out Yahweh's gracious, loving compassion towards his people. He will use Samson for his glory. And you know, it's a good thing. It's it's a good thing that God still helps us even when we don't ask for it. Isn't that a good thing? You know what that's called? Dot, dot, dot. Grace. That's his grace. He loves his people even when we foolishly think we can handle situations on our own without his help. He's still gracious to you, isn't he? This shows how much God loves his people, how much he loves his chosen ones, and it shows how much he was committed to them because from Israel would come his Messiah who would save his people from their sins. Israel again sins. Yahweh faithfully disciplines. And then the third point, Yahweh graciously loves. And then notice this is verses two through 25. See, this whole thing of, God's gracious love for his people. And notice how it begins. First, you see his gracious love, God's gracious love for Manoah's wife. And, and you'll see first that the wife is going to be set apart, which means the child is going to be set apart because Israel has been set apart. You see the correlations here? Jump in, verse 2. Certain men of Zorah, of Danites, same as Manoah, his wife was barren, but the angel of Yahweh, and this is the pre-incarnate Christ before Jesus took on flesh. This is Jesus here appearing to the woman. Notice, verse three, behold now, you're barren, you have no children, thanks for reminding me, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Uh, now therefore, be careful not to drink wine, strong drink, for behold, you shall... Notice something. Should have a son? It surely happen. But notice something. Or I should say, did you not notice something? Or did you say, notice not something? Or you, know, you get what I mean. We again see God using the obscure to display His glory. We don't even know her name. 
What's her name? I don't know. One of the most well-known judges whose birth was recorded by Samuel. I mean, you can go down the streets and you can say to somebody, no, Samson, oh yeah, didn't he have like, like lots of strength? He could tell no anyone, anyone would know about Samson, but we don't even know the name of his mama. God loves to do this. God loves to do this. Yahweh brings his awesome, loving deliverance of his people from nothing, from the obscure, from the nobodies. He loves to do that. He loves to demonstrate his great power where it looks to be with impossible odds and total failure. She was barren. She's a no-namer. She's a nobody. God loves to do that. He loves to use nobodies. He loves to put us at a place where we can't do anything. He loves to put us at a place where we have to totally depend on him. He loves to drive us to the point where you are totally helpless so you have to depend on him. He'll push you to that limit. You're barren. Thanks. I know. It's been like that for a few decades, pal. Yeah. But you're going to have a son. You know, the birth reminds us, remember, of Sarah? She was 90 years old. Sarah and Abraham, it also similar to the angel appearing to Mary to give the news about Jesus' birth, which is why Samson, Samson is a type of Christ. Christ who would do his work in the power of the Spirit, only he'd be the perfect judge, won't he? He would die for us. Now go back into the text, verse four. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink nor any unclean thing for behold you shall conceive and give birth to a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now this is called the Nazarite vow. Numbers chapter 6 verse 1 through 8. Nazarite simply means dedicated or consecrated. And in the book of Numbers chapter 6 verse 1 through 8 a person would volunteer to be a Nazarite, dedicate themselves to God for a certain purpose, a certain vow. And it would be for a limited time. It wouldn't be for their whole life. And, and there would be, um, they'd be faithful to, to certain outward actions. Not drink any form of strong drink. You don't consume anything from the vine. You refrain from cutting your hair. And you never come near a dead body. And even don't come near something that's dead at all. So why would they do these outward actions? Because the outward actions displayed an inward dedication of one's life to Yahweh. So Samson's whole life was a display of dedication to Yahweh. Which is why he's a tiny Israel. He's a mini Israel. Because Israel is supposed to be what? 
dedicated Yahweh. Consecrated, you shall be holy, for I'm holy. Which is why, oh, by the way, his whole life was like this, but the mom was supposed to observe it too. While she was pregnant, you need to observe this as well. So you're going to show your dedicated, while you're pregnant, and then he's going to be his whole life. So, Samson's success of delivering Israel would be in direct proportion to the degree that he continued in a Nazarite vow. And with this correlation, we can see why Samson is viewed as a mini Israel. Israel was set apart, consecrated, dedicated to Yahweh as his chosen people, but they abused that consecration just like. Samson, which you'll see next week, chapter 14. Already, right to get the he's already playing the harlot. So notice in verse 6 and 7, this is the second communication of, of what's going to happen. She's so excited. She goes to her husband. Man, I've got a peer to me. He told me all this. He recounts all the angels of Yahweh told her. And then as I vowed that she would have to take it, he would take, she would have to take this and fulfill it while she's pregnant. This is God's gracious love to Manoah's wife. And notice, God's gracious love for Manoah. Look at verse 8. He treated the Lord and said, O Adonai, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again. Teach us what to do for the boys to be born. Probably wanted to confirm uh, the visitor's words. Um, Get more instruction for the child given this important mission. Vow. But he didn't get it. If you look at verse 12, uh, Manoah says, When the words come, what shall be the boy's mode of life? The angel of Yahweh said, Let this one pay attention. All I said, She said, Not anything that comes from the vine or drink, wine or strong drink. It's the third time it's recounted. Three times recounted. The the angel of Yahweh doesn't give him any more information. (laughs) That's it. Yet we see God's grace here. How, How do you see God's grace displayed? God listened to his prayer. God listened to Manoah. God didn't have to do that. Do you see here God's grace? You know, it's a good thing. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord that he stoops down to us to listen to our weak and even many times muddled prayers and answers them. That's why it's called grace. You see his gracious love towards Manoah and then you see his gracious love for Manoah and his wife. First, both now see the pre-incarnate Christ and guess what? Both of them, this is kind of important, they didn't die. When you see God like that, you're probably going to die. You know, that's what God said. But he was gracious to them. Notice what happens. The angel of Yahweh came Gives him these instructions of Manoah. Let us make a meal for you. Let's detain you so we may prepare a kid for you. Mm, nah, nope. I'm not going to eat it. Sorry. Not hungry. But offer a burnt offering to Yahweh. Do that. Manoah did not know he was the angel of Yahweh. Verse 17. 
And it was said to the angel of Yahweh, well, what's your name? Okay, mm, okay. Don't want to prepare a meal for you? Okay, well, what's your name? He wanted to give the man the proper recognition when all this stuff happened to his wife. Verse 18, the angel of Yahweh said to him, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? You sure you want to know my name? The word wonderful, you can, it's actually used in Psalm 139.6. And here's the idea of the word when, it, the, when the angel of Yahweh used the word wonderful. Here's the idea. My name is beyond you. It is so grand and amazing that you can't take it all in. That's what angel of Yahweh means by wonderful. In other words, you have no idea what you're asking, pal. You can't handle what my name is. You know, this is a good reminder for us. Here's Jesus, before he took on flesh, appearing to Manoah and his wife together. It reminds us something. It reminds us that we can know God truly, but we will never know him exhaustively. See, that's why heaven will be so wonderful. Heaven's not so much about a place, it's about a person. We will learn more and more about this amazing, awesome, great God, and your joy will actually become sweeter, more satisfying, more gratifying. You ever thought about that? How can you have more enjoyment? It's almost like there's times you can reach a, a level of enjoyment. It's like, I can't get any more happier than this. But it, it will, and it will continue more and more. Can you imagine that? That's what heaven, that's why heaven is going to be so wonderful. Because you will never stop knowing about your amazing, awesome, gracious, loving God. It will just keep growing more and more and more. See, that's why we're called to constantly trust him. He truly, he baffles us, which creates in us a cautious humility and yet a longing for him, doesn't it? Well, you see here, verse 19 through 22, that they offer this kid and then a grain offering to Yahweh. And it says, the end of verse 19, he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. What wonders was he doing? For, verse 20, it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of Yahweh ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah's wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. So the wonder of him going up in the flame, it would be the way he would authenticate the message was from Yahweh. What I'm speaking to you about this boy is gonna come from your barren womb, it's really gonna happen, and the way I'm gonna show I'm authenticating it by going up in this flame, this wonder that I just did before you. It would happen. Flame went up, send it into the flame. They both watched this. They fell on their faces. Notice Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die. Why? Because he knew, finally realized, this is the angel of Yahweh. Great, we're dead. We're going to die. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're going to die. Because those in the Old Testament, they knew if they saw God, they saw God when they saw the angel of Yahweh. They knew when that happened, you're dead. This is amazing. They saw Jesus before the incarnation. That's the graciousness of God. So we rejoice with trembling 
over our great sovereign loving God. We, we don't take him flippantly, nor do we cower in fear. No, there's a fearful joy we have of him, isn't there? We have to be careful. He's not the big man upstairs. He's not to be trifled with. One writer puts it like this, quote, where do we ever get the idea that the presence of God is not dangerous? It is dangerous. And yet, praise Jesus, we can come into the presence of God. Praise Jesus, but because of Jesus, we can come into the presence of God. And see, you see that here? See little glimpses of that here in these few verses. Well, notice the wife, she gets, she's the logical one here. Calm down, Manoah. Look, verse 23. We shall surely die, he says, but his wife said, if the Lord desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering, a grain offering from our hands. He would not have shown us all these things. Now let's hear these things at this time. He won't consume us. He'll preserve us because his goal is to be compassionately loving towards his people. Grace. And notice what happens, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a son named him Samson. God was gracious. He blessed her for her faith in Yahweh. She became pregnant. She had a son. She named him Samson. And then you see the last point underneath God's gracious love, God's gracious love for Israel. Yahweh blessed him, verse 25, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtoal, he was given more of the spirit of Yahweh than any other judge that Samuel recorded. Again, a type of Christ who would far surpass Samson in every way because he would begin to deliver Israel. There's his grace. Praise the Lord, he displays his great power not to remind us that he can destroy us, but to assure us that his power will save us because his gracious loving will is to save us, not to destroy us. But well, he could. But he doesn't. So you see how God, he used this real historic event, the beginning of the story of Samson, to teach his people the great truth of his love for sinners by showing them his gracious compassion. God is the real hero of the story. And we'll see. The next three weeks, Samson is like a mini Israel, set apart and yet so weak and yet God still shows his gracious love to his people. So Samson, he points to our need for the true king, the true king who was faithful and fully dedicated to God, a life of perfection and obedience, solely loving and desiring God in his word and then dying for us. That's the gospel. And that's for you. If you're here today, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know that God did not come to destroy you. He came to save sinners. Come, repent, and trust Christ. He'll save you. He should judge you. You deserve it, and so do I. But he shows his gracious love in Jesus who died as a substitute, resurrected from the dead. Repent and trust Christ and you'll be saved. His gracious will is to save you're reminded 
We're reminded once again of God's gracious love for us as his chosen people. We're so unworthy of his compassionate love. Gracious love. Or as we sang earlier, what love my God. Let's pray. What love my God. So gracious and extreme that you would come and fight for me to go through hell as you hung on the cross, Lord Jesus. You faced hell, the very wrath of God. And then you went to the grave. So you can raise me up so I can have relationship with you face to face. It's this gospel truth I'm reminded of, this gracious love that we remember. We are unworthy. We don't proclaim our worthiness. You are worthy. And yet thank you that you brought us to yourself. We're adopted as your children. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Your love is like a flood. At this time, I want to encourage you, which is what we do each week. I encourage you to take this time. There'll be about a couple minutes of silence where you can reflect upon the passage, maybe recount aspects of the gospel. Allow this time to fill your mind with scriptural truth, fill your mind with truth ponder it, mull through it, be amazed at the gracious love of God in Christ which is wonderful. After a couple minutes, we'll we'll sing two songs, we'll pray. We'll let this time, these couple minutes, be time between you and the Lord to allow yourself to fill your mind with the truth of his word and foster a passion and a love for your Savior. Do that now, please.